Can I go to a movie with Riley tonight? With Riley? Your grandparents are coming for dinner tonight, remember? Awesome. Grandpa telling his disgusting Vietnam stories. Take my advice. Don't ever have kids. Everything just revolves around you, doesn't it? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Today. It's like they're waiting for a buffet. What's going on? Is that McKenna's mom? Multiple reports are now coming in of parents murdering their own children. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before mom and dad come home. theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. And yes, here we are, and I'm still making duck face here for you all. <laughs> I can't tell uh, behind the mask, Mark. You can't tell no. behind the mask, no. <laughs> uh, yes, folks, once again, it is the spoiler room. Thank you for joining us. Venture down the stairs, pulling up a chair, and grabbing your favorite drink. As we talk movie spoilers, it is the family that slaves together month. Last week, we looked at uh, the people under the stairs. And this week, we're going something a little bit more recent. I know, don't have a heart attack, folks. But it does have <laughs> Nick Cage in it. So we're going to look at Mom and Dad from 2017 from director Brian Taylor. And I've got a great crew assembled for me today to talk about this very interesting film. Uh, <laughs> that will make you question uh, your parental nature. But first off, uh, he is with us here in the spoiler room, the guy who keeps coming back for more. As always, it is Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. How are you? Doing great. I want to like squeal like a pig while crawling through a car. <laughs> uh oh. That's wow. How I, I am. Don't say squeal like a pig because it makes me think of deliverance, and that's a whole different 
Oh, it was more of a, well, he was barking like a dog, and then he, he was, was, like, squealing as he was getting stabbed in the leg. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get, we'll get, to, it. We'll get to it. We'll get I, to it. I was about to say, you kind of already worked up to the deliverance because, what is it, Mark was referring to his duck lips. Yes, my tongue. It's like, we can't see your pretty mouth, boy. <laughs> wow. I don't need to think about deliverance right now. <laughs> and now I can't help but think of, oh, Ned. Betty. Anyway, uh, and also we have with us tonight, you heard her voice from the horror retrospective. It is Kara. Hello, Kara. How are you? Hello. Doing all right. Good to hear. Good to hear. And if folks, yes, I know about the whole mask thing. It's just that my boys are in the room right next door. And since I talk a lot and I'll be spouting, I'm not quite there yet. I decided to help try to keep things safe. So hence the mask. But so tonight, yes, we are talking Mom and Dad 2017. And Kara, would you mind giving the synopsis for Mom and Dad? See, I spared you, Ian. Thank you. You're welcome. It, my first thoughts was it's a modern-day modern, modern day retelling of flesh-eating mothers. There's kind of a purge thing going on. All the parents go psycho, and they're trying to kill their kids. And what parent hasn't at some point or another? Right? Yeah, that's, you know, I've brought you into this world i could take you out and they do <laughs> yeah I, I mean as long as there was none of this weirdness about i brought you into this world i'm gonna put you back where you came from Ooh. no this That'd isn't men. painful yeah this isn't men. <laughs> that's a completely well, I mean, different it was painful movie. the first time but i mean a fully grown kid <laughs> <laughs> well <Wow>. that's <laughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so so it, it's kind of the purge, yeah. Uh, what else do we got going on in this film, Kara? Other than psycho parents, and this is a childless person's perspective, but the whole thing seems like a, a metaphor that we all feel as we grow older, like the two parents are disillusioned, like I didn't want this to be my life, and you can see that they sacrificed so that they can take care of their families they thought about someone other than themselves was my take on it but it just seemed like a like this whole metaphor like you go unappreciated so much it's like day of the parents <laughs> day of the parents yeah kind of kind of yeah uh yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting film that it's funny because people call it a black comedy of but kind of found it comedic but not nearly for black comedy i mean i found it quirky i found it interesting i did a write-up for it i got a chance to do a review for it an early mm -hmm. screener when it first came out and uh back in 2017 i've been doing this way too freaking long um, uh, this and, is modern for me i don't watch stuff this this recent often uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, part of the appeal was Nick Cage, obviously, um, mm -hmm. because this came out just bef after Mandy, I believe it was. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. I didn't quite take it. I mean, I understand it's satirical, but black comedy? I'm not sure. Ian, what are your initial thoughts with Mom and Dad? <clears throat> well, a couple of things. Uh 
when you put out the movie list, I it's like a reflex. I automatically sign up for everything <laughs> unless I happen to know that I'm not going to be available to talk on one of these show nights because I love uh -oh. doing the show each week. So it came as kind of a shock when I went to put stuff on my calendar. I'm like, oh, Mom and Dad, a movie I did watch back in 2017 and vowed that I would never watch again. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I did watch it again for you. Well, so we could talk about it here tonight. And I stand by my initial decision. That touches <laughs> that touches my heart. That does. <laughs> well, I thought like maybe, you know, it was five years ago. Maybe I, I felt differently about it. Mm -hmm. And if anything, my, my resentment towards the movie has grown much stronger. But my fascination with it, um, you know, it's the context has changed a bit because Ann Winters, who plays Carly, the the teenage daughter right. of Nick Cage and Selma Blair, she is in the TV show The Orville uh, for season three. Oh, is she? Yeah, playing a character oh. named Charlie. Uh, so oh, that's it's just interesting. <laughs> interesting to see her go from playing a 15-year-old to being someone who's like, I guess, in her early 20s. She liked the, the sure. ship's pilot. Yeah. Wow, I didn't but, realize no, she... I, I really, I really loathe this movie. Um, I'm not convinced that Brian Taylor has ever been around children or has children or knows anything about parenthood. Um, I just think it's... Like, one of my big problems with Alien vs. Predator Requiem Mm -hmm. He's seen him in a in a maternity ward, where the filmmakers thought, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had these alien predator hybrids bursting out of a room full of pregnant mothers and have it be all gross?" Um, <laughs> no, it's not cool. It's like morally reprehensible, and I felt that way watching Mom and Dad. Wow, is it yeah. the, the 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 patricide? Is that what no, I think part of it is the the black comedy tone because mm -hmm. if this had been a straight up horror movie, I think I would have been able to deal with it a bit better. Mm -hmm. But because I think it is a black comedy, it's just really poorly done and, and ham handed. I'm like, there's stuff that, you know, you have to be a really twisted fuck to be like in a birthing room. A mom gives birth to her baby and we all know as the audience that the mom is going to turn on the infant. And then right as that happens, they start playing Roxette's It Must Have Been Love. No. <laughs> no. They, they were trying to go for the tearjerker moment. I'm like, you're not going to manipulate me. I don't know what that was. Uh, yeah. It's the juxtaposition of It Must Have Been Love being a love song and the mom who normally but should be loving. Now. Her now I want born. to smother you. Yes, wants to smother. Right. I mean, that's baby. a that's a funny thing that can occur to a writer. Like, <laughs> would it be? You'll be funny if, if they put that rock set song in the scene, uh, but to actually commit to it and make that part of your movie, no, it doesn't doesn't um, work. It kind of reminds me of the music. I, I watched it casually. I haven't seen it all the way through, but it reminds me of the way the music is used on that show, The Boys, where it kind of references the scene and what's going on at the time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I haven't watched The Boys. The The Boys does it a lot better. I really enjoy The Boys. It's one of my two favorite mm -hmm. superhero shows this year. The Boys and Ms. Marvel. Two opposite ends of the spectrum. I know. What family show. Oh. Not <laughs> totally not a family show, but at the same time. Um, two of my favorite shows this year. But uh yeah, I can see, you know. I guess I've seen an, a, a lot of those types of scenes too, to where you have that, and I get he was going for it. it. Didn't it didn't bug me? Maybe I have a dark sense of humor. I don't know. I have a dark but, sense of humor too, but I mean, my problem is there's nothing inherently funny 
mm-hmm. about a parent wanting to kill their child, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it goes against like the the deepest darkest part of human nature, like th- not only the instinct to survive, but the instinct to reproduce, and mm-hmm. beyond the the purely scientific thing, there's the issue of love. Mm-hmm. I understand, you know, the the parents and their regrets and all of that stuff. That's something we've seen in. You know, it'd be truly revolutionary to watch a drama about a well-adjusted family who has some kind of an external problem instead of like every movie now is like, my God, why do we have these kids? And I was going to, my life was going to be great if we didn't have all these kids. You know, that's every movie. Um, But with this thing, again, turn it into a horror film and actually say something about the, the idea or, you know, it, it takes a really deft hand to turn a comedy into this. It's kind of like mm-hmm. trying to make a comedy about the Holocaust. I mean, I know they did that as a joke in The Producers, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Springtime that for Hitler. That like a good idea. <laughs> right. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Um, but even that was a farce, right? They had to go that, all the way to the other end of the spectrum. There's but no that was... Here. I, but you, you bring up a point that, yeah, The Producers... It was a farce. It was exaggerated on purpose. They were going that very, it was Mel Brooks. So he was very open about, you know, the whole thing and intent and everything. Whereas here, I, I get what you're saying. It, 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 it shifts from trying to be a serious horror to adding the dark humor but not adding to either enough of it or doing it in a way to where you can really decide whether or not it's both. I get what you're saying. On that. Well, it's also, you know, it very much has the trope of sort of the 28 Days Later, like modern zombie movie. Um, we were talking about Walking Dead a little bit ago. Um, that's fine, except that it's children. And it's not even zombified children. It's parents with the rage virus we're going after mm-hmm. the kids. So I don't want to see crazy cool camera moves and like, you know, blood splattering on the screen thinking, wow, that's so neat. When I realized that, yeah, that's a 12 year old boy who ran to his mom through a school blockade because she was, you know, he thought she was trying to deliver him from, you know, to safety mm-hmm. and he was betrayed in the last moment. He got keyed. Life. Right. He got keyed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yelling to, I'm yelling at this movie to get off my lawn. Someone else talk. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know if it's a, a female thing. Like, it kind of feels like part of the inspiration was drawn from postpartum depression because I know women get that and they do things to their children they shouldn't. It's mm-hmm. kind of like this own temporary insanity that some people experience. Right, but I mean, Selma Blair's. She had a fifteen-year-old and a what a nine-year-old i think or an eight yeah nine yeah i think cage said something like you're not going to make it to 10 buddy um postpartum depression does not last more than a decade i mean no no i don't know delayed response or something in mass well what one of the things that plays it's an underlying theme at least with our two uh i do remember i think i wrote in my review that this is probably one of the most they put the this this dysfunctional this is the most dysfunctional suburban uh family that you've seen it it, it, they embody every trope that's in here you have the mom who's trying to act and relate to her young daughter by speaking the local the new lingo like saying hashtag 
and she's, you know, <laughs> Facebooking, you know, <laughs> you yeah. have the daughter who doesn't want anything to do with her clean cut parents because her parents are lame, which is standard teenage trope for like 50 <laughs> years. So that's not going to change. Um, you've got the kid who looks up to his dad because he's he doesn't know about any better. So the nine year old, you know, he's still the innocent out of yeah. all of them. Uh, you know, he he's but he's got his own little dark side, but he's the innocent one of them. Um, you know, you got the dad who is which a lot of parents end up having, though not to this extreme that he does, of the regret the, the thought of what if you didn't have kids or what happened or mm-hmm. trying to hold on to your youth. Um, you know, so you have that dynamic between these four. And it, 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 they're just exaggerated. Like Nick Cage being Nick Cage in his cagiest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's excellent at, at being insane. He is, but I mean, that's, and I'm, that's why I'm looking forward to seeing the unbearable weight of massive talent because aside from Pig and Mandy, I have not liked a Nicolas Cage performance in probably a decade. Wow. Because he just turns on the Nick Cage thing and it's mm-hmm. like it's like the to the stereotypical like married couple zoning out during sex. That's what I feel <laughs> when I watch Nick Cage. I'm like, okay, here's where he here's where he screams, here's where he stops screaming, here's where he, oh. too routine. You know, right, too routine. But here's the here's my one of my problems with it. There's a, a great flashback. There I think the flashbacks in this movie are the strongest part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but there's a bit where he's having midlife crisis. He sends away for like parts for a pool table. He builds this pool mm-hmm. table in the basement. And there's a big argument with uh, his wife over it. And he ends up destroying the pool table with a sledgehammer while screaming. And she just sits there on the stairs and then she comes down. They have like this nice people, peaceful talk. No, yeah. no. <laughs> she would run, get the hell out of the house, find the kids, take them with. Because that is not... Uh, acceptable unless they have a history of that which they could have gotten into that a bit more mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. As, that's this movie is missing contrast because as you're saying mark they start off dysfunctional and then they go crazy there's no contrast like this is a normal loving family isn't it sad what happens to them it's like this was going to happen with or without a rage virus at some stage well, the, the pulsing made me curious, just my observation, but it, it makes me curious if he's prone to just bouts of anger like that, because even before he started uh, busting up the pool table, she kind of backtracks and takes back what she was saying. She looks like she's a little bit worried or afraid. Mm-hmm. And then after he destroys the table, yeah, they have like this weird bonding moment so it's I, I don't know if it's some kind of a trauma bond that they have where they just can flip back and forth between seamlessly and it's it's just normal to them right and i think you could you could almost make an entire movie about this family dealing with you know like they had a lot of these movies back in the 80s like tv specials like dealing with dad's alcoholism or whatever <laughs> everyone's on eggshells but i mean there's the, the other flashback where he and the son are like sharing a uh, rocket pops and talking about the car and all this other stuff. And- well, yeah, because after the kid put a bird that he had saved that he thought he could save um, in in a box inside the car, and it died. Right. Yeah. Then they're talking about the the history of that car and and his you know yeah. dad and their relationship. It's kind of a, it's an almost an oddly uh, touching 
scene, but you also get these like this sense of anger. So I'm like, is this the pulse building up in this family? Because you kind of get the sense that this was a seed that was planted that finally, you know, the signal really went full crazy, or were they just uh, this dysfunctional to begin with all along? Well, see, and I think that's part of the point of what he's trying to go for is you do have the pulse, but it makes you, I, I think he was trying to pose the question of um, just how close some parents are to losing it. You know, I, that, that it, all it takes is just a, one little extra push um, with but, it. I mean, you but, know? but that's the thing. That is a very Hollywood kind of idea mm-hmm. because, and Mark, I'm going to assume, and we share this common bond as dads, that you've gotten upset with your boys to the point where they've made you really angry and to the point of like, oh, I could wring his neck. But there's something about that parental instinct, and it goes haywire in some people, but as a percentage, it's very rare, which what is what makes us all kind of be aghast in horror. We are not, as parents, that close to actually killing our children or harming them. No, no, we, we aren't necessarily, but this family is, and, and they're, you know, this dysfunctional family is. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that's what he was going for, it, it, because each one of these characters is really just a, a um, representation or trope of, of stuff that we've seen and of real-life families and it's interesting because it takes place in the current age of 2018, but yet a number of these themes, like especially, you know, uh, Nick Cage's dad, Brent, really lamenting about motorboating someone in his car as he does donuts, um, and the mom still trying to hold on to her youth during aerobics class with the hot aerobics instructor, more or less. Um a lot of these are, are themes we'd seen in like the eighties <laughs> types mm-hmm. of films, but, but not as a, a, you know, as comedies, not as black comedies, just as comedies as, as uh, or dramedies, they would be um, as they try to uh, deal with it and learn, you know, their life isn't that bad at all, but we, we, we don't quite get that with this <laughs> at all. You, you, you get the parents, any parents in this world, but, not every kid. They're not killing every kid. They're just killing their own kids. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. But but even that is kind of complicated because it implies that they have no interest in killing their own children or killing other people's children, mm-hmm. but they don't have an instinct to protect other people's children. Right. So it's, it's not like... Referral. like Yeah. But it's not... A, but what and they don't get into the science of whatever the signal is, or if if it even is the signal, that could be a red herring because they keep flashing to these TVs that have static, and they're the mm-hmm. noisy static TVs, which is like that is a trope left over from the eighties. Like right? when you're flipping channels, <laughs> it doesn't make that sound um, unless you've got the volume cranked all the way up for some reason on something else. But uh, the idea of if it is a signal, has it been engineered? How does it react? How does it enact with parents to make them only want to kill their own offspring? And if they do kill their own children, do they snap out of it and say, well, I've just killed my own children, but, you know, my neighbor is going after his kids. That's terrible. I got to stop that. Well, like, no, no, because you get the one guy walking around with the metal uh, 
bloody baseball bat who we assume has taken care of his child he goes out to get his mail and See, right but oh, he, but they're not being they're not being chased by anybody at that point they're just standing around the lawn and they see him acting all weird right right i was about to say like some of the parents seem to stay all zombified like their their brains are just fried but uh, what was it the maid her name was son yeah like, she just went about business as usual after she killed her daughter and do you want the lunch yeah mm -hmm. and she just had trouble getting that uh mopping that up that blood out. off yeah that spot out she had a macbeth moment <laughs> she did have a macbeth moment out damn spot um but i mean that's 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 the the subject for a more interesting movie that cares about i mean this this really is just a macguffin uh inciting incident right with this signal but just you know maybe ask questions uh, i thought the the cameos were really interesting like the talking heads on tv one of them was the actor bokeem woodbine the other one was Grant Morrison, which I had forgotten that he was in this, but he's he's the guy who's like the Scottish uh, yeah. scientist. Um, I don't know if you were familiar with Grant Morrison, Mark. Or Grant Cara. Morrison, uh, yeah, not offhand, no. He's a he's a, a comics writer. He's up there like in the pantheon with like Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore. Mm -hmm. He wrote uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum, and oh, okay. You know, one of he's like a very influential writer from like the eighties to the sure. early two thousands. Um, but yeah, to see him showing up and giving this like really weird rambling dissertation about like the the paternal instinct or whatever mm -hmm. like yeah that's on brand <laughs> <laughs> we got infobomb in the house and he says isn't cage the living definition of dysfunction this side of charlie sheen <laughs> possibly is charlie sheen and nicholas cage ever done a movie together uh, i don't think so i don't think so actually wow that the internet would melt. Throw in Corey Feldman and the internet would melt. Oh. <laughs> God. Corey Feldman. Martin. I got a mental picture of, of his lizard face and <laughs> He could have his angels as well. See? Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Back to this movie. You know, I don't know. Women I off the street can't carry a tune or play well. <laughs> It's like but he was in the Goonies. Sorry. Yeah, he was. Uh, the film is an extreme look at parents with midlife crisis, is what it is. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of the big things that runs through it is is the midlife crisis. Not only our fan, uh, our couple, because Soma Blair is hanging with her friend uh, after they got done, and they're talking about the aerobics instructor who's having sex with everybody in the room in, in the class, just about um and you know they're having she's she's regretting the fact that her daughter is younger and and prettier mm -hmm. as well and making her you know it what the idea is that that they're getting across is the, at least the adults in this world they look at their kids and rather than just looking at their kids oh i love my son or i love my child is wow look at what i gave up for them and they are so yeah. much younger they have their youth they have their looks i don't have that anymore and having that that um not regret but uh um envy jealousy envy jealousy uh you know that feeling and then the signal just amplifies it to where they're like it they they want to kill that because it's a painful reminder of what they were and what they're no longer are. 
And so therefore, that's why they want to kill their own offspring is because uh, of that. At least that's the the impression I got from it is the, the metaphor for the midlife crisis brought to a bloody head. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was leaning toward. It's just I was looking more at the the being unappreciated and just mm-hmm. being walked all over end of it. Yeah, well, I mean, kid, kids are tough. Raising a kid isn't easy. Uh, <laughs> I'll say it's got its ups and downs. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't a horrible kid, but even I had that horrible catchphrase, whatever. Yeah. When she said her whatever, it's like, oh, yeah, that rings true. I, I've I've said that. <laughs> I said that when I was yeah. young. I said that when I was young. And when I, my, my kids rarely said it to me, but when they say it, there's just something about the way a teenager will say that that can get really under your skin <laughs> or See, even for, a, for me it's it's more like when whenever young people say boomer i'd rather have somebody say whatever to me <laughs> yeah yeah especially because i i think you know the baby boomers and i'm like that's probably what it's a reference to but i'm like dude i'm not that old that's what Jeez. i tell them that's what i tell them too i'm like that's your grandparents your grandparents are boomers we're not boomers we're gen xers yeah. I know, and, and okay, Gen X or it doesn't have the same sting to it. It's like, yeah, yeah, it fuck yeah I'm Gen X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eugenics. Eugenics, no. Eugen- no, 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 eugenics. no, 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 not Eugenics. Gen X, not Eugenics. Wrong. No, that's... It's a little uh, too close. That's a little too close. But yeah, it's... You know, and, and so I think that's what there... It was that exploration of midlife crisis and... You know, all the parents, though we don't get introduced to too many of them. I mean, we get the boyfriend of um, uh, uh, Carly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, David, com- I think. David, yeah, he comes from a rough family. His dad is an alcoholic. Um, and his dad comes out of his alcoholic super enough to try to go after his son as well. Um, which, again, can play to the idea that the adults of parents looking at their kids and seeing what they used to have and holding resentment against them. And in this case, it's just a killer resentment. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's one of the main things going through with this. Um, you know, as far as what the kids do, uh, you know, the kids, I don't know. How'd you feel about the kids with these? Uh, Ian, did they, do you feel their caricatures as well? All the kids in here, or are they a little more normal than, say, the parents who really are embodiment of all dysfunction? I, I yeah, I didn't mind the kids. I mean, I think that the problem is, I think, I think all the performances in the movie are really strong. Mm-hmm. I just don't agree with the way that the characters were written. I liked. Mm-hmm. Okay, with the exception, I like Nicolas Cage when he's not doing Nicolas Cage. <laughs> you know, he does have some moments of subtlety. Mm-hmm. I like Selma Blair a lot and Winters, as I mentioned. I like the the actor who played Damon, the boyfriend. Um, and I think the kids were, you know, were fine, especially, you know, the way that they were rendered because they are different types of kids. There's something, right. there's a, elements of surprise to it, like the young kid, uh, Brent, right? Mm-hmm. We think, oh, he's just like the little nine-year-old that, you know, they, kind of has a tumultuous relationship with his sister, but the parents kind of ignore him. 
but we find out later what that means for him. Like he snoops around the house and discovers dad's gun and does this whole like taxi driver thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's but that's the thing is I don't know if that was meant to be funny. I don't think so. It's just kind of sad and and strange with a little bit of a hint of of danger to it. Um, because it's clear that the kids don't everybody in this family is disconnected. You mentioned the purge earlier. The thing that really works about the first Purge movie is that it's a loving family. Mm -hmm. You don't, it's a loving family that's dealing with an external threat. So they have to come together to, you know, to figure out the problem. What happens in this movie if you take a family that really already loves each other and wouldn't think about actually, you know, killing each other? Sure, they have problems, they're not perfect, Mm -hmm. but they're not this antagonistic. Contrast. That's what this movie needs is contrast because it's dialed up from 11 at the beginning and by the end it's 11.5. <laughs> there, there is a bit of a lack of contrast with it. I, I will fully admit that um, with it. because Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know. Like the lack of contrast didn't bother me. I like how insane this is and it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> I agree it gets worse, but um, that's the thing. It's like I don't – I don't know what or who or how I'm supposed to care about anything that happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, is it supposed to be an exploitation picture? Is it supposed to actually have a message about parenthood? You know, I, I just think it like tries to do all these different things. And in the end, it doesn't really do any of them particularly well, which is kind of disappointing because I can imagine this working uh, with a few key tweaks. I mean, you can kind of look at it as a midlife slasher. I mean, they're they're all basically throwaway characters. We're not invested in in any of them. We're just waiting mm-hmm. for them to die. Uh, so, sort of. Uh, that's the thing. I think there needs to be a higher <laughs> a higher body count in that case. I mean, because <laughs> at the end of it, it just ends up being, you know, this pseudo home alone type of thing. You know, in the house. Um, it was a nice touch when the grandparents showed up and, you know, one of them is Lance Henriksen and, you know, he never got out of Vietnam in his head. Um, oh, so that was kind of fun. I liked when Lance showed up, Lance Henriksen, and then it was those parents wanting to take care of their kids, which, you know, at least threw a little bit of a twist to it in that it's not just adults to their young kids. It's just any parent-child pairing, regardless of age in this. Um, when Lance and his, uh, you know, when those two show up, when the mo- grandma and grandpa show up, then they're chasing the adults around like they were chasing their kids around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I, I I don't know, I found that entertaining. Uh, <laughs> Lance Hendrickson going after Nick Cage who's going after his son I thought was uh you know an interesting dynamic and it was something that when the grandparents show up because up until then we had only seen uh uh parents with their young kids so you know the fact that they're showing Mm -hmm. that the the grandpas the grandparents could also get violent towards their adult kids i think added at least another level to where there's more than just that look uh, um looking at you know, and you can still play at the disappointment. How many grandparents or family gatherings? I, I know, okay, maybe just mine. But family <laughs> gatherings to where, you know, there were always discussions uh, between <clears throat> father and, and son, 
uh, grandpa and father or whatnot about, you know, where they're at in their life. <laughs> you know, and we, we, we've heard other stories too, and we've seen it portrayed in Hollywood as well, whereas where the, the grandpa prods the, the dad, you know, oh, mm-hmm. I see you bought that car again, you know. <laughs> right, and again, I'd like to see the positive version of that conversation because 99% of the portrayals, like when there's a family dinner scene, when the grandparents come over, you know it's going to be conflict because, you know, Junior's a disappointment. Like, I'm going to break my jaw if I yawn any harder. <laughs> I, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of come up and it's kind of like, well, you can't just have your cake and eat it too. Here's some medicine. Yeah. There, there is some of that, that the, the parents that we saw, so, um, you know, um, Brent and uh, Brent and Kendall uh, end up getting their comeuppance by having the grandparents show up and go after them, whereas they've been chasing their kids the whole time. So there is that, you know, um, in, in a wonderful scene of chase where they're chasing the kid into this firebird, which the, the firebird was... Uh, Definitely the midlife crisis representation. <laughs> um, you know, always get that big car when you're uh, that fa- that that fast speed car. I haven't gotten mine yet. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm pretty much at midlife, and I haven't bought my fancy car yet. So keep buying. You keep buying vinyl. I keep buying vinyl. That's see the physical media. That's my midlife crisis. I just can't stop buying physical media. Mark, your your midlife crisis car is going to be a, a vintage vinyl pressing of the Christine score. Ooh, probably. Oh, that's yeah. sexy. Actually, I found the uh, the Showa era Godzilla waxworks releases thirty percent off, and it's still over three hundred dollars. Yeah. Wow! But it's eighteen records. So, oh, well. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. I know. Tough. I I know. Right. Oh. See, there's my <laughs> midlife crisis. It's not a Firebird in the garage. It's this record collection of Godzilla music. But, <laughs> but if, if you need to have that conversation with the missus, Mark, I will happily say $300 is much cheaper than buying a Firebird. <laughs> That's true. That is. Or, you know, or dealing with murder. Uh, but my kids No, are, no, don't put that in the conversation. Or don't, don't put that in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. My kids are older now, though. They'd fight back too, too hard. So the kids fun. That's what I liked. That's my one of my scenes I really enjoy in here, though, is when the kid. Again, I think they are trying to play a tart humor, and I get what you're saying, Ian. That it could have been done better, but at the same time, um, the interesting statement of the kid having the gun, uh, and, and and he takes shots actually at mom, who's trying to stab through the door. Which mad props to him for defending himself. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this beat that I I, I actually kind of liked between Selma and Nick to where, uh, you know, she goes, he goes, I don't understand how he got the gun. You know, it was locked in a safe. She goes, what did you make the combination? Yeah. <laughs> you know? His birthday. Yeah. His birthday. <laughs> you know, making a statement of how parents uh, uh, may miss, uh, not misjudge, but uh, underestimate their children in many ways uh-huh. um you know which is what they were kind of stating there with that in that you hear so many parents when you have major accidents or something especially like with guns or whatnot well it was locked in a case really how well was it actually locked in the case you, you know so yeah i mean it's it was a nice exchange but 
again, I went back to really you kept the gun. It was in a it was in a locked case, but it was right underneath your bed. Not oh, even yeah. like no, not oh yeah. It's, this is this is those PSA. late nights when you need to unlock it and go and yeah. sit in the the bathroom commode and just ponder things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but this is this goes back to like 1980s PSA stuff. Yeah. You know, we kept the gun on, you know, and Nicolas Cage, you know, his character would have been old enough to have seen all of those TV shows and movies and know that if he's especially especially if he's going to buy a gun that he's going to keep secret from his wife, he can't just put it underneath the bed because, you know, I'm sure at some point she's going to lift up the, the covers or, you know, drop something under the bed. Oh, what's in this box? Well, she does. They do have a house caretaker because it is suburbia. So the, this is an entitled So she drops something under family, the bed. She so. rings for the Chinese housekeeper to get it for her. Right. Well, yeah. Oh, well, okay. uh, you I, know. thanks for cleaning that up. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> well, that's the thing is this is an entitled this is an entitled family. They have their, uh, you know, they have their housekeeper and her daughter helps out. And the mom, Kendall, can't even keep track of, of what nationality the <laughs> she yeah. called her called her Korean. And she's like, I'm Chinese. Not Korean. Well, no, that's not what happened. There was a there was the uh, remark that the grandpa had made. They made a reference, yeah, to his grandpa was in Vietnam. Oh, and that's right. Yeah, Vietnam. Over and called, sorry. You know, yeah, Charlie. He called yeah. everyone Charlie. And then she said, oh, I'm sorry. Now, the problem is that was a perfectly acceptable thing for her to say to the housekeeper because regardless of whether or not she was, you know, Korean or Chinese or Vietnamese, it was still kind of a racially insensitive remark. Mm -hmm. right? right, yeah. It didn't have to be like, oh, you must think I'm Vietnamese. It was like, no, you just made a, a slur against Asian people in general. Right. So, again, I, yeah, tweak, tweaks to the script. <laughs> But I mean, I got what they're going for. It ate for an exchange, and the the housekeeper uh, definitely is very bold to these suburbanites. The way she talks to them, which uh, yeah, you know. I, I like that she has brass. She doesn't just cower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, again. Well, now it's let's let let's a proud history of the sassy housekeeper that goes it, back decades. It is, but you know, we're we're talking about how we've seen these elements in the and retro let's not forget how this film specifically opens not not with the mom leaving the baby in the car and the train hitting just after the way the credits play out he's going for a retro feel for this film we get the mm -hmm. 70s montage opening that we get with some horror films which i always got a kick out of 70s horror film and i brought it up before to where it's like a horror film, but you got like this melodic hippie ass music heard by French, but, but you know what I mean? This hippie, yeah. light, airy music. And you're like, wait, this is a movie it's about parents killing their kids. Well, and then they do the I, little montage. I think thing. it was about the whole juxtaposition, kind of mm -hmm. like the whole, what was it? The rock set scene with the infant. But right. Same thing. I, I loved that intro and I have no idea who that Joan Baez sounding woman was, but I, I like how it, it paired together. Yeah, it paired together well, um, but it was definitely going. He was trying to set it up for, um, you know, kind of an expectation. I think if if you notice of of possibly why some of these elements are the way they are is that he was trying to go maybe for 
an older uh, film, uh, but not set it in the past, but yet at the same time. Uh, yeah, kind of like a, a modernized Stepford Wives or something. <laughs> kind, kind of like that. I, I don't know. I, I like this. I like the stylish opening. I guess for me, that's what kind of set it up is that um, you're going to get a little bit of this older, um, darker film. You know, and some of those from the 70s, good or bad, I'm not saying it's good, not saying bad, but, you know, it, we're similar to this as well, to where, um, you know, you, you had a lot of stuff and, and horrific things happening, uh, whether or not they were executed extraordinarily well, well, you know, that, that depends, I guess, on what the way you look at it or, or the film, which film you're talking about. But I think in this case, some of the tropes and things that we see are because he is trying to set it up with that retro feel of that opening, that it's more than just a stylized opening. For me, anyway, that's the way it came across. Hmm. But I don't know. I was trying to see what song that was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you can tell. I enjoy this film. I don't know why I enjoy this film. Even though being a parent, it disturbs me. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Subject matter. Not giving ideas, is it, Mark? No not giving me ideas <laughs> i like odd films like this and i i i get what you're saying though that the films um you know uh it, it could be tweaked to possibly have a more clear message um with it and i can totally see that but i guess for me i i i took it as is it's presenting a lot of different ideas in here um you know it does end a little weird though it doesn't doesn't give you I forgot the weird ending with this film where it just kind of ends to where the, the kids have have incapacitated the parents thanks to the grandparents showing up in this wonderful action sequence where Lance Hendrickson shitty dummy takes a header through the <laughs> through the firebird onto the hood and they manage to tie up mom and dad and mom and dad are like, oh, we're, we're better now. We're better, you know. Uh, you know, we love you guys, but you know, sometimes, and then they start getting violent again and that's how they end. Um, you know, and I think, I think that's what he's going with in this film is just that exploration of the possible turmoil inside many parents when they look at their kids and what if those parents acted on that regret, you know, to an extreme measure, but still, I think, I mean, I think that's what he's going for. Maybe not have ex executed it the best, but for me, that's the way it, it, it came across. But I mean, it's an idea, but there's not really a follow through and there's not mm -hmm. really a commentary. And that's why I wasn't surprised by the ending because I'm like, it, it's just this slam stop. He gets out of it by saying, well, what do you think it means, man? It just saves him the, the, the hard work of trying to come up with an ending, a resolution. Mm -hmm. What happens after that scene? What happens to society? How long does this go on? Does it ever stop? Who engineered it? How they engineer it so, you know, precisely? I mean, on one end, you could say, yeah, it's a crazy midnight, you know, exploitation film. And if you want to view it that way, that's fine. But I don't think it succeeds on any level that it's trying to attempt. So I'm just left wondering, you know, what does it all mean? The answer is not much. Well, you're supposed to put together what it means. What does it mean to you? Ian. No, that's not, I didn't write the movie. I didn't get paid to write the movie. Someone else did. And they turned in an incomplete. Uh, 
that's I don't know. I I kind of like things where they don't spoon feed you everything or the plot. They leave it open to where you can come up with your own ideas, opinions, and then you can always just come back to it. Well, what about this? What about that? Which I like guess the, maybe it's lazy, but you entertain yourself more that way, I think. Well, sure. But I mean, there's got to be a line, right? I mean, you can't just have a story where like, well, I was driving down the street and all of a sudden I started having to paddle really, really quickly. What? What does paddling have to do with driving down the street? Exactly. That's my problem with this movie. It's got these ideas that don't really go anywhere. They smash right into each other, and you're supposed to say, well, what do you think it means? I'm like, again, that's not my responsibility. This is bad storytelling. It's, you know, got a lot of entertaining stuff in it, but it's just a movie that is full of stuff and not really ideas. Yeah, and, and I can and pe see yo, people can enjoy what they want. I enjoy plenty of stupid things, <laughs> but no, I get no, I get, I totally get what you're saying with it. I guess for me, I like the ideas that are presented in here, um, you know, and, and maybe not necessarily, you know, he going for a deep message or presenting his ideas, and you draw from your own, you know, saying, "Hey, parents, look at yourself once in a while." And, uh, yeah, and you know. wonder why your kids are the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, and maybe that's, maybe it's just me because I look at this and I'm like, I have nothing to learn from any of these parents. I don't know any parents who even come close to this. Mm -hmm. So what am I supposed to get out of this? I want to turn it off. But I didn't twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I thank you. I thank you. For I mean, I, I like how the parents are an exaggeration and I, I forget the the mom, but I like how she, she refers to her own daughter as that bitch. <laughs> See, and that's the thing is I've, I've, I don't, I'm not friends with them, but I have met parents that are similar to our Kendall and Brent. In, in how they look at their kids as being the beasts of burden that they are. Um, you know, oh, I love my kids, but, you know, that mm -hmm. bitch or whatnot. I, I've um, run across parents like that. Not often, but I have. Well, I have. You, you kind of reminded me of something is, I don't know if it's just the fact that they became parents too young or if they became parents before they were ready. So that's why they feel like they're held back like you know i wasn't done living for myself and now i have to to change things around because i i have to make adjustments for for this other person that i'm responsible for now well and that's that's the impression i get is that they i have a feeling at least carly was a surprise to them i don't think that she was a daughter that they had initially planned mm -hmm though they don't address it again that can fall into the line of what yin is saying maybe you know tweak the script a bit but the impression i get is that they weren't necessarily planning on carly because this is both the wild couple they used to be brent it used to be kendall you know they that conversation that they have during the the pool table that this this was they were the popular couple at one point you know they were the, they were the wild ones at one point and, and um, you know, you, they, they got that resentment with the, the family life that they have, they, they, 
kids, you know, he he goes to work and watches porn apparently at work, which, uh, you know, was just. <laughs> You know, but the, the more that you talk about this, Mark, the angrier I get because uh -oh. I'm just realizing none of this lines up. You know, Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair are probably supposed to be in their 40s, I would guess. They've got a 15-year-old daughter, which mm -hmm. is fine. You know, I had kids kind of late. But let's just walk this back. 2017, Let's say they had, you know, the kids 15 years ago, let's say they're 40 or 45, then he would have been like 30 or 25, maybe mm -hmm. when they had the kids. So when he was a crazy teenager, that still places him in like the, what, late 80s? Mid maybe? 80s, yeah. Mid, mid 80s? Mid late, yeah. Mid late 80s. Uh, late 80s late possibly. 80s. That that whole thing with the the Thunderbird and the parking lot scene, that was all like with this weird like 1970s aesthetic that was going mm -hmm. on. I don't know what was, I feel like everybody got mixed up. Maybe this screenwriter thought that everything before like 1990 was essentially 1970, <laughs> but yeah, sloppy. I, I don't know. I was too busy laughing at that scene. It was ridiculous. He did, the, the guy, the person they got mm -hmm. to play young Nick Cage, the one thing I appreciated was they gave him the mustache from fine, uh, Raising Arizona, which was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, they did do that. <laughs> they did do that. Oh, uh, we got some comments here from Infobomb. He said, uh, perhaps Amber Heard ought to be doing a comeback film with Cage. She might relish being in a bed that was defecated. <laughs> she would ruin his career. Yeah, she would ruin his career. She kills, she kills careers. Any particular 70s horror films that come to mind? Just watch the opening to Day of the Woman. and It's airy, light. You've got her with her sunglasses on. She's driving out mm -hmm. into the country. It's like, oh, la, 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 la. And then it crushes your entire soul and makes you want to go out and, and just, you know, renounce everything. <laughs> Well, well, that's where my Day of the Parents reference came from. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I caught that, yeah. Well, there's a difference between, a, you know, a film that starts off, you know, kind of sunny and, and descends into madness. Mm -hmm. And this movie where you've got this faux, it wasn't like a movie opening from the 70s. It was like a 1970s TV show. Mm-hmm where you've got, you know, as they're right. introducing the actors, you see the actor from scenes that are going to come up in the film. So it's very much like a sitcom or like a Charlie's Angels style thing, mm -hmm. which is anesthetic, but it really has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And that's, I know you guys were appreciative of it, but all I saw was, this is 2017, they're going for like the midnight audience crowd and everything. So, you know, retro, mm -hmm. man, let's put this stuff in here, even if it doesn't make any thematic sense. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's part of the theme. You're going with that period of time, though, making it feel like it's supposed to be the happy family, which it's not a happy family. So maybe he I, was... I, what is that? I've never but met what? a family that actually is happy. I've I've always run across people. There's some level of dysfunction. I mean, if, <laughs> if you guys come off as some Joan Crawford fake happiness, I'm like, you worry me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's talking about fake happiness. I'm talking right. about, you know, every every family has their own dynamic and their own, you know, mm -hmm. problems. But there 
is a middle ground between psychopathic killers who are at each other's throats and the cleavers. You know, it's a gradient, right? I mean, I'm sorry you've never met a happy family. I'm not calling that into the question, but Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, I just mean like, I mean, you can run across people that seem well-adjusted, but there's always just some, even if it's small, there's some tiny level of dysfunction. I mean, not not that I'm trying to talk trash about anybody. No, no, you're absolutely right. And and like I said, I think, and, and we'll wrap it up here soon. I think uh, I get where Ian's coming from with this in that the family we're introduced to, we're not, we're given a, maybe a little glimpse of like, you know. Uh, not Nick, enough development. Right, not enough development that this is a happy family. This is a screwed up family to begin with. They get put into a screwed up situation and things just get a little bit more screwed up. But, um, you know, while they're extreme, uh, you weren't that far away, you know, a hop, skip and a jump away from this being regardless of whether or not the pulse was there. And like I said, again, maybe that's what I thought he maybe was going for is that not you wouldn't necessarily need the pulse. It is there. You're that close. Um, So, you know, maybe reevaluate how you're looking at things is is what I kind of take away from it. But at the same time, he doesn't really lay that out for you. Uh, that's just what I got from the film. So um, he, he just presents the, the ideas and the situations. It would take a really deft hand to make work what I'm about to suggest. But at the end of this, what if you find out, you know, people like, well, it was the pulse that drove everyone insane. And the scientist who engineered it or whatever said, yeah, the pulse didn't actually do anything. It was all mass hysteria. <laughs> that one? <laughs> it was the cell phone towers. It was the cell phone towers. <laughs> it was the 5G. The 5G. No, this is 2017. So it was the 4G. It was the 4G. <laughs> no, that, that the 5G was around. They just didn't tell anybody oh, for Oh, that's years. right. Yeah. That's so I was thinking those Motorola flip phones. The flip phones. I still got a flip phone. I still got a Motorola flip phone. I use that because it has the world's most annoying uh, ringtone for your morning alarm. So I open it. I, I have it there on purpose because subconsciously it keeps me from having it go off because it's like the worst. <laughs> it is the worst ringtone. Um, it, yeah, screw it. Just one moment. Here. Oh, oh it's going to be good. <laughs> okay. It, it's close because I've been quarantined down in my studio so my bed's like right there uh okay let me pull this up quick but i get what you're saying i mean i like this movie um but i like quirky dark films um but uh you do make some valid points there ian uh cara how what do you think about this film your final thought i i had fun with it i wasn't really too analytical with it i just enjoyed it for what it was i went for the ride and I, I had fun watching it. The same here. And uh, Ian, you, you, you've stated your case for the film. I appreciate, oh, yeah. I appreciate you uh, 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 sitting through it again. But uh, any final thought or word for? No, no. I, I think I've, I've gone over my points. I've, I want to hear this ringtone. All right, yeah, hold on, hold on. Okay, here it comes. So, so prepare yourselves, folks. Prepare yourselves because... I find this to be, I, I should pull it off. See this Motorola phone? I've had this for 20 years. Wow. Literally. 
It was my old work phone. So yes, I've had it. I got to get the ringtone off of here because this thing, it, it's still charging. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, okay. Here, here I, I wouldn't be surprised if you have the, the chocolate and the razor hanging around somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I don't have a razor. I don't have a razor. So, All right, here it comes. Prepare yourself. It starts off nice, but you'll see why I handled this like a grenade in the morning. It sounds like a grocery store song. <laughs> that that is why when this does go off, it's like a grenade and I'm scrambling for it, knocking stuff off whatever to trying to stop it before it gets to the bah, 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 bah. because <laughs> That's let me the tell you part. Yeah. <laughs> I felt Near like Tom Atkins at the very end of Halloween three just screaming into the phone, make it stop, you gotta turn it off. <laughs> That is my that is my ringtone, and that's why I wake up before my alarm almost every morning. Uh, subconsciously, I don't want that going off. Let me tell you, by yeah, the I way, can, I can see how you would learn to hate that if you hear it every morning. I I do love my wife because uh, one time I um, left for work before I turned the alarm off because I got up way before the alarm, so I just decided to go into work early, and I forgot to turn said alarm off and so my wife got the uh full tune while she tried to scramble for my, my phone well you're lucky she didn't take a sledgehammer to it yeah no a, a meat tenderizer oh meat tender yeah like, there you like, go like like in the film so <laughs> info bomb uh veggies that uh we all know what it that when it comes to finding the best scripts, Cage has quite the record as of late. He actually addresses that in uh, the unbearable weight uh, of mm. massive talent. So you should definitely, it's its great little reference to. Uh, uh, to I'd say career. as long as he doesn't get to the, the Eric Roberts level where back then it was a, a cool movie to watch. Now, if you know he's in it, it's like pass. It's a stinker. <laughs> well, yeah, they did an interview with him. Uh, there's a reason why he does all those films travel. He gets yeah. paid, he gets paid to travel. So he takes his family occasionally and he'll go out and do a shoot to where it's like a day he's on the phone on a desk or on the phone on the, the, you know, bridge of a ship, but he's out there for like a week. He gets paid. It's part of his, his contract. Uh, so I, gets, I was thinking base level, like he needed the check that bad. No, no, he just uses it to travel. He likes to travel. And so, uh, yeah, he gets he gets to travel, gets paid, gets like a day or two work. And, you know, I think, I think he was saying he he goes with his wife or something like yeah, that. Like yeah. a lot of times they'll get like the double accommodation. So it's like <laughs> little mini vacations all the time. Yeah, that's that's why he does some of this stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree. There are there are certain actors when you look at you see they're in the movie you're like, eh. No. no. <laughs> See, that's the the weird thing. Like, I think Danny Trejo's the only one that can actually walk that line. Uh, you know, I was like, funny. I was going to say 
I used he used to be a market like I gotta see it. Mm-hmm. Danny Trejo's and I gotta see it now. I'm like it's fifty fifty. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's funny like you you know it's a stinker, but you still watch it because he he was like this this cool guy back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I still I I'll still watch. The the issue with that type of stuff is similar to say the film that we talked today although they didn't have him in the marquee but some films will have the cameo like say lance hendrickson shows up in the last five minutes of the film they'll have his name like Mm -hmm. at the top of the video box and you're like when's he showing up when danny trejo uh i love danny i'll watch him anything but it gets disappointing when his name is on the box yeah. And he's in there all of four minutes, and you're like, "Oh man, I wanted, I wanted more Danny. I love Danny, regardless of what role he's in, either machete or whatever." Mm-hmm. I'll, but at the same time, it's disappointing when you get that, and you're just like, "Oh, that's it. That's all the Danny I get. What?" Yeah, I'm just waiting for like the day that. where they get like uh, Danny Trejo. They put him like on the marquee, like you're saying, of this independent film. He's not even really in the movie. It's just the characters in the movie walk by a theater that's showing Machete. <laughs> <laughs> I I was going to say the um, I've never seen it. I just like the title. I have to watch it someday. But he did a movie called Lava Zombies. Yes, yes, he did. He did Lava Zombies. Is it like actually like lava zombies? Yeah, yeah. Well, like they're on fire and like yeah, yeah. They eat people yeah. and set them on. They melt them and stuff. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched it, but I do believe so. There, there's fire involved in. in yeah, that's usually there. how I pick my movies. Like, does it have a wacky title? Do I just think it's funny, or do I like the box art? Like Lava Lantula and Lava Lantula Two. Uh, uh, and... What was the other one? Big ass spider. I thought that one. Oh, was big ass spider was great. Yeah, but <laughs> we digress. Uh, thank you. For our watchers, our viewers, uh, Infobomb says that Lance Hendrickson is his go-to guy, and there's not a bad go-to guy for that. And then he offers up an epic film that would have Cage, Roberts, Trejo, and Hendrickson. I don't think the screen could handle that much awesomeness at one time. Well, you got to add Feldman, and who else were we talking about? (laughs) Feldman and Sheen. It's going to be a return of pass out the barf bags at the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, but then I can I can have my tiger's blood. Uh, there was an ice cream there was an ice cream shop, uh, a soda shop, an old old fashioned soda shop slash ice cream shop where they used to make uh, they had the different flavored vanillas and you can make like different shakes in that. And when that uh, one interview came out, they literally did make one that was called Tiger's Blood. It was really good, oh. actually. Blue yeah. coconut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was coconut mm. in there, and I forgot cherry and something else. I forgot what it was, but it was really good. Oh. I missed that place, but yeah. You're but, gonna make me snack tonight, aren't you? Mark? I know. I am. I am gonna yeah. make a snack. I make you forget the film that you hated that you watched twice just for the show, which we do appreciate, Ian. So thank you all to our viewers. Thank you all to our listeners, and uh, yeah, next week. We got another parental. It'll be a horror of 1988 film. It'll be our rabid grannies episode. So you'll want to stay tuned for that one. And now, as always, this is where I give my crew the license to shill. So, Kara, please shill away. 
Uh, I don't have anything new coming up until October. I'm hoping to do Vlogoween again this year, but in the meantime, there's tons of old video reviews and wacky movies like the crazy stuff I like to watch. That would be on Horror Retrospective at YouTube. Nice. Yes, check out all the great stuff there. Lots of fun stuff. And uh, Mr. Ian Simmons, please shill away. Well, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com and also the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel um, tomorrow night or whenever it'll be in the past, probably after this goes up. But doing a live stream about the 1997 movie Spawn, hmm. uh, which I just finished watching this evening. And wow, is it different than I remember. But Mark, thanks to you, I have a new perspective on Spawn. Oh, great. Now, now he's blaming me for something else. The fact that he had to watch mom and dad again. You have, and to, now... you have to double feature it with barbed wire. Otherwise, you're not there doing you it go. right. You yes. know what? Yes. I have never seen barbed wire. I know. I got to fix that. <laughs> it's Casablanca, man. I know. It's Casablanca <laughs> with Pam Anderson. With leather. I've, I've heard that. And that's part of the reason I've stayed away. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can. I can't quite imagine that, but. Yeah, so yeah, we're gonna talk about Spawn, and we'll see. Uh, see Just what picture Humphrey there. Bogart, but with a larger chest and in tight leather pants. Um, <laughs> I just did picture it, and now I don't. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> we're not friends. <laughs> so where's your stuff again, Ian? <laughs> canceled.com no uh it's kickseat.com <laughs> and also on youtube kicking the seat there you go they're looking at spawn and how did i give you a different perspective on spawn are you joining us for the conversation tomorrow i may actually be yes okay well i'll spoil it for you just in case you can't make it but okay. it reminded me of a canon film oh yeah i was watching it i'm like it it completely falls apart at the end with the bad cgi but like the whole like military setup and the, yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. secret rockets and all this yeah. stuff i'm like this is a 1997 canon movie and i'm totally about it <laughs> awesome well that should be a great discussion thank you all as always i appreciate every single one of you and your support and i would just say a good night everyone good night good night I'm